Welcome to Dissecting Education, where we take a spherical look at the education landscape from many vantage points. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Hicks. Glad you're here with us today. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dissecting Education. I am so excited today to have Dr. Otis Smallwood with us as our guest. Dr. Smallwood is the superintendent of the Bertie County School District in North Carolina. He's personally experienced education from every angle. He began his career as a high school mathematics teacher in his own former high school. Then he taught a year of first grade, drove a school bus, and taught at the middle school level. He later became the district-wide lead teacher in math and science and a middle school administrator. After that, he worked at the district level in IT, testing, accountability, and went on to serve as assistant superintendent in human resources and auxiliary services for 11 years. Dr. Smallwood is a servant leader who believes in the democratic leadership practices and the power of positive relationships. Most importantly, he believes educators practice hard work, not hard work. Welcome. I am so excited to have both of you here on the show. Thank you, Rachel, for joining me as co-host. And thank you, Dr. Smallwood, for being our guest. Um, Dr. Smallwood, tell us a little bit about um, your role as superintendent and, and your background, how you, how you came to be in this seat. Wow. Okay. So good afternoon and thank you for having me. Um, like you said, my name is Otis Smallwood and um, I was born and reared right here in Windsor, North Carolina, Bertie County, um, rural Northeastern North Carolina, where I was raised and um, attended public schools, K-12. Um, when I graduated from Bertie High, the district which is now I'm super, that I'm now superintendent in, I, I left and went an hour north to a um, small um, historically black college university, Elizabeth City State University, and majored in mathematics education, sec mathematics secondary education. Um, I finished Elizabeth City State in 1993 and started teaching. Actually, I finished in December, so the school year was started. So I wanted a job in Elizabeth City. Um, they didn't have any vacancies. And um, just so happened my high school that I had just left four years ago had a vacancy. So, but I had not planned on returning home. That was, a, you know, I did not want to return home, right? <laughs> right. Um, it was a vacancy open. So I came and I, and I took the vacancy and my original intent was just to, to fill it from you know, January to June. Um, but I took it and I stayed and I came back the next year. <laughs> um, then I left and went back to Elizabeth City Public Schools and worked there for a year as a as worked with first graders and that was not so good. Um, <laughs> Actually, it was disastrous, but I, <laughs> I love the kids, love the children, because I love kids and people anyway, but I just realized that foundation was not for me. You know, I, kids couldn't read. I just thought you should just be able to read, right? Like, you just need to read. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew that wasn't for me. Um, so I was out of my field anyway. I was in elementary. I was a certified math teacher, so I, I went back and started teaching middle school. And now I'm back in Bertie again, <laughs> teaching at middle school. So I started working with middle schools and everybody told me to stay away from middle school, but I, I actually loved it. Um, that's when I think I formed the most important relationships with kids, with middle school kids. So I did that for a couple, two or three years and 
decided to go back and get my master's. So I went to East Carolina University uh, in Greenville, North Carolina, still in the same region. Um, got my master's in school administration in 2001. And I worked as a school administrator for a year. Then I went to the central office and worked in a variety of roles in IT and testing and accountability. I did that for several years. Then I left Bertie and went to the Southern region of the state to Jones County Public Schools where I was hired as the assistant superintendent for human resources. And I did that for 11 years. And while I was in Jones, I started my doctoral program at Nova Southeastern University in, um, in Florida. Oh yeah. Fort Lauderdale. I, I know that school well. Okay, yeah. I had uh, one of my former bosses was a graduate up there, and that's how I found out about it. Ah. So I looked into it, and uh, sometimes things just kind of fall in your lap, right? So that wasn't Absolutely. my first choice. I was, I started, and I wanted to go to East Carolina, and they changed the program, and they were taking cohorts only, so you had to wait for the next cohort, and I was tired of waiting. I was like, if I'm going to do it, I just got to do it. <laughs> I love so that. I, I was like, okay, my, my boss told me about Nova, so I looked into that. They had a cohort ready to go, so I jumped in it and I stuck with it. They had me on, they had us on a tight three-year timeline, so that it kind of pushed us to finish. So I'm glad I did that. I finished that in 2015, and um, so now I'm getting close to like year 22, 23 in education. You know, you can retire in 30. So I was like, God. And I am a Christian, so I call on God a lot. And I, <laughs> I was like, you know, you know, superintendencies are very cutthroat for the lack of. But I'm like, you know what? If I'm going to rise to the occasion and, and lead a district, I want it to happen in my last four years before I can retire. Sure, sure. <laughs> and, and it just kind of worked out that way. Like, it's like God asked my prayer. So here, the opportunity came up for me to come back home to lead the district that I graduated from. And so just by happened, I applied and interviewed and, and received the position um, for superintendent. And I've been there now two years, just finished up two years, June 30th, and started on year number three. And year number 29 <laughs> in public education. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and it's been a journey, you know. Um, it's just been quite an interesting journey. Um, and COVID didn't, COVID, COVID uh, even made it more interesting to lead, you know, through a, a global pandemic. But here I am still excited, still looking forward to the opportunities we can create for our children in my district, as I call it, my babies. Oh, uh, I love that. Or what, what the future can hold. So that's a low down, dirty version of 29 years in public education. Well, I love it. I love it. So how does it, how does it feel different to be back in your home district as superintendent to sort of begin and end your education, maybe not end, but this kind of pinnacle of this education career journey to be back in your home district? So it's really, an well, eerie is not the right word. <laughs> It's funny feeling because this is how how crazy it is because my old high school is now the district office. So every time I walk in that building, it just reminds me of being a, <laughs> a kid in that high school, uh, roaming the halls at Bertie High, which is now currently the district's administration office. 
So in every now and then I, I walk down to where my classroom was, which is now testing accountability and just kind of reflect uh, on my experiences working with kids in algebra, uh, algebra one and um, kids who didn't want to do algebra one, kids who had to motivate to do math. Um, and then just looking at, you know, of course it's a small community. So I have a lot of my classmates and high school people that I graduated with of course, people that I was in school with, they work for the school system, um, or now they have kids, or some cases, grandkids in the school system. Um, so it's just, it's a very uh, unique and ful fulfilling uh, moments that I have that uh, this is just where uh, my foundation was given to me, and now I'm back in the same position, able to offer some of what was given me back to, to my very own community um, to afford them the same opportunities that I have. That's awesome. I, I think that, you know, it's interesting to watch kind of the generational stuff. My mom is a teacher. She taught in the same school system for 35 years and she ended up being a, a mentor teacher to students that she once had in second grade. You know, if you stay long enough, they, uh, and they, and people come back to the home district, it's gotta be, a really um, interesting place to be in in the trajectory of kind of life, I guess. Yes. What are the things, tell us a little bit about your district and, and kind of what you see as special, what you see as challenging, um, what's kind of different about your district than, than maybe other districts? Well, my district is, is unique and, and different. It's the same as that, you know, most districts in North Carolina well, probably across the United States, you know, we're a rural district and most school districts are rural. Um, we are a high, high poverty district in, in the Northeast corridor of North Carolina. Um, we have about 2000 kids in pre-K 12 in the district and we're probably 90% you know, African-American, 9% um, no Caucasian, 1% other. Um, so we have, and in, in our region of the state, you know, it's, it's lack of access to, to many things, um, mm -hmm. to, you know, medical care, to, uh, you know, to attorneys, to finding attorneys, um, just lack of the, made the basic necessities of life. And, it, and it's been a challenge that way for even when I was a child, of course, but now uh, even sometimes it seems as though the rest of the world has progressed. And not saying that our area hasn't progressed, but sometimes, you know, east, we call it east of I-95 in North Carolina. Sometimes that's the neglected area. You know, we have broadband needs and infrastructural needs. And this makes it a challenge um, for our kids to, to get what some of the other kids across the state, state gets. But um, sure. so then, of course, you know, with districts, you know, with, with high poverty come you know, adverse childhood experiences and trauma and social and emotional needs, you know, just the things that, that go along with just, you know, being in a poor community and um, uh, communities that's been um, marginalized, whatever you have. Um, so it's just making a challenge. You know, it's always, you have to put forth two or three, two or three more times the effort sometimes to make sure that our kids get what they need or making sure that they on grade level because sometimes you know they don't come to us on, on grade level with so many things that are lacking mm -hmm. to take care of the social emotional needs you know help them with the trauma and the home experiences 
to try to make them ready for an, a positive academic experience. So those are some of the bigger challenges um, that we have. Just, you know, just making sure they have access to the things that they need that's going to make them uh, a productive, hardworking citizen once they leave the K-12 walls of Bertie. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so speaking of access and, um, you know, feeling connected, how did the pandemic impact that since that was already an issue for you? Well, so of course, you know, the pandemic just kind of exacerbated some of the issues that we were already facing, right? So, right. Um, so like technology, the infrastructure needs, the broadband, you know, those, those are very spotted in our community. Um, but of course, when the kids came to school, that wasn't an issue because when the schools are, don't have broadband issues, you know, we have the high speed internet. And so we have computers for the kids to use in the building, but they didn't necessarily have them at home um, because of that service. But, you know, we had to turn around on a dime to make sure the kids had, had those services at home because we were, we did 100% virtual for 75% of the year and then we went into a hybrid model. Right. So we, we had to make sure that first teachers were prepared to teach online because that was something that they were just not used to doing. Um, so some of our high school kids were, um, they were prepared because they take courses online anyway now, you know, through with the community colleges in some cases with four year institutions, you know, working on their college credits or their associate associates degrees. So those, those kids were familiar with the system, but of course those teachers are from another entity from the community college. So our teachers, we had to turn fast and make sure they were trained. Uh, we use Google, Google Classroom as our platform. So, you know, some were familiar, most were not. We had to do crash courses and, and that and get everybody ready. We had to make sure every child had a laptop to take home. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We, but we had some incredible partners that reached out to us, um, the, the state and with um, some of the stimulus money that we were able to get hotspots to help out in the communities that the hotspots could help because some of the, it's like an internet desert around here, you know, you can have hotspots, but it still may not work because there's no tower to connect to um, in certain other communities. So uh, we partnered with a lot of churches and businesses in the area, the community college and asked them could we use their internet. So they set up Wi-Fi um, spots so families could drive up to and use the internet if, if needed. Of course, we um, put more high range hotspots on our school campuses. So, so all of our school campuses became instant uh, Wi-Fi spots where kids could drive up. That's great. Several churches opened their doors and increased their um, bandwidth so, so kids could have access as needed, and like I said, we got discounts on the um, on the actual Wi-Fi device itself. So a lot of people came in to help us out to try to make sure that kids got what they needed so they could be successful in this online uh, learning environment. But um, you know, it it worked well for some, but not for others. You know, it's like the ones that ones that need to be in the class the most were <laughs> the ones that didn't do as well online, you know what right. I mean? Yeah. So, you know, it's just the ones that struggle the most anyway, it kind of, it, it kind of highlighted the needs, their needs even more, but 
but of course, on the flip side, that we did have some kids to thrive in that environment. You know, the ones that were kind of uh, self-paced and um, uh, able to maintain that balance of freedom and, and doing their work. Um, you know, because sometimes even it's a challenge for adults to do totally online because you got so many things that are pulling your attention, especially when you're at home, right? So, for sure. But they, but you know, we had a lot of kids to maintain. The parents stepped up and, and made sure that kids um, did what they needed to do to to finish out 1920, and then we were full throttle in 2021 um, with this online learning. What do you think is the kind of the future of the online? You know, knowing that obviously we're going to get kids back in classrooms, we're going to you know, do what we can to, to normalize. What do you think are the lessons that, that won't just go back to normal, the things that will stick around or, um, you know, for, for good or for bad? What are the things that you think that the pandemic has permanently changed about the education environment? Well, I think the pandemic, one thing I noticed for us, and it's not unique to us, like it forced teachers to be creative, right? Um, mm -hmm. Teachers by nature are, mostly creative, especially elementary teachers, you know, they're very creative. Um, and it kind of interrupted some complacency of some folk as well, you know, because, you know, sometimes when you want to make a change, the first thing people say, oh, we can't do that, or we've never done that. That's not <laughs> Sure, that. absolutely. So now here you are in the middle of a pandemic. You are in a global pandemic. Kids are not coming back to school, but we have to change what we've been doing to educate them. So all the things that you said were not going to work. They're working, you know, not right. necessarily perfectly, but they are working. And, you know, whenever we change, we don't expect perfection, but we expect continuous improvement, right? So, you know, technology for some folks has just been a challenge, you know, even integrated into the curriculum. Um, they, we can't always make it work to be a complement. To, to see what we're achieving or make it a compliment to the curriculum. I and mean, we know kids love technology, but how to make it work with the curriculum sometimes is a challenge. But I think teachers realize that change works. It works when you want it to work or when, you, when it has to work. Um, you, you have to get out of your mindset of continue to doing the same old things, the same old things, same old things all the time and expecting a different result. Um, it, it forced some kids, I think, to be more independent um, researchers and, and thinkers because uh, I'm not gonna say they always research the right way, but it forced them to look for solutions um, to, to problems that they wouldn't have normally had to look for, if that makes any sense. Sure. Uh, Do you think, um, you know, going back to what you said about everyone was kind of pushed into this, do you think, because um, a lot of times when people don't want to change, it's because of that fear, right? They're a little bit afraid <laughs> to try something new. So do you think since your, your teachers and your students were pushed into this online environment, do you think that they have a newfound sense of confidence like you I loved hearing you explain you know they're researching and they're more independent do you think that kind of gave everybody a confidence boost like wow I can do it well I know it gave our kids some confidence 
Um, and it gave a lot, a lot of our staff confidence as well. I mean, other than the fact, so you know, of course this wasn't a pretty scene at, at all, you know. <laughs> right, right. It was a little bit of ugly on all the sides, right? It was ugly in the kids' world. It was ugly in the teachers' world too, because teachers, I mean, teachers, our teachers work very hard anyway with the, when the kids are in the building, right? So, so now you're trying to come up with these lessons that are engaging. You, you see some of your kids online, some you don't. You're worried about where they are. Um, you want to know why they're not showing their face. You know, all kinds of technology issues, you know. It, but I think it has boost confidence because for the most part, we got kids engaged. Um, kids began to work and get comfortable. In some instances, I think they got, I hate to say too comfortable, but now I know I have a lot of kids that don't want to come back, right? They was like, can we just do online forever and ever? Right? <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> But it just forced, you know, us to think differently. You know, I was in a meeting with the community college professor and um, we were trying to get a partnership going with the cosmetology program. So we were with his academic people, he, and they were with us. So he told his folks, keep talking to all your no's become yeses, right? <laughs> he said, just keep talking. When you come up with a no, keep talking until you come up with a yes. So it that. forced us to come up with a lot of yeses because, you know, the, the common thing was, well, we've never done that before, right? Or I don't know how to do that. We haven't been trained on that. Well, they got quick training. <laughs> they got thrust into it. and But they took off with it. Once they saw it would work, and don't worry about the things you cannot control, because that's always an issue too, you know, but just focus on the things you can't control. Uh, Focus on what you can control. Don't worry about what you can't control. Just give you your best. And at the table started to turn. Like I said, some of our teachers, they thrived in this online learning environment. A lot of our kids, they thrived in the online learning environment. And of course, are they kinks to work out? Absolutely. But um, I think it will force us to do some things differently. Um, some old practices that we won't go back to. Um, you know, like I, it's always a silver lining, even in the darkest of clouds, uh, that you can just take and learn and, and go from there. Absolutely. Besides the the kind of connectivity and the things that were exacerbated during the pandemic, what other kind of what traditionally maybe maybe even thinking back to pre-pandemic, what are the things that kind of keep you up at night? What are the things you're most challenged by, just in general, as an education leader? Well, one of the things, and I hope this doesn't sound crazy, but like <laughs> pre-pandemic, you know, school safety, right? Like one mm. of my biggest fears is somebody gonna come on my campus and hurt my kids. Right. And I mean, we have safe schools, don't get me wrong, and we've got closed campuses and all that, but you know, the world is just so different. I mean, the world is changing and people are mean. And, um, mm -hmm. People don't like to talk about things or, or come to, civilized conclusions. They don't like to meet in the middle. Everybody's like polarized. So a parent get mad or somebody gets mad and come back and do something crazy to one of these babies. That's that's one of the things that worried me. And we have not, we that did not happen, but that's one of the things that worried me. Sure. Um, another thing that worries me is 
So in my district, I have two high schools, a traditional high school and an early college high school. And my high school is considered, is considered low performing by the state. I don't consider it low performing, but the state has tagged it as low performing. And that's how it was when I arrived. But I get worried about what people will think about our kids when they graduate from my high school, about do they think these kids can't perform because they come from Gertie. But when I walk in the building every day, I see talented, beautiful children who, who, who have gifts and talents beyond measure. But you know, I just want to make sure our people keep pushing them to utilize their talents in, in the right direction. So I worry that um, we are given, we're not giving everybody what they need to be successful. So that's that's been my push since I've been back. You know, we've rewritten our strategic plan, or we have created strategic priorities for the next four years. And, and at the heart of that, at the vision of that is to make sure we provide every child with every opportunity and access to everything they need to be successful. So, you know, we are pushing enriching programs, you know, we are, we are pushing advanced placement and AIG for our high school seniors. You know, we're pushing college level courses, even in our traditional high school, where that had not been the case. Um, you now we pushing the arts um, and try to focus on the whole child because uh, we know sometimes it's, it's the arts in those other areas that kind of develop kids' talent and they'll do well in the, in the core academic. So I just, I worry that our kids don't always get or have access to what other kids have. Mm -hmm. So that's been my goal is to make sure that we can prioritize budgets um, and align all of our resources to make sure we get the things that scientifically says work for kids that are in high poverty districts and so they can be successful when they leave the walls of our district and do well and compete against others or go to work. Be prepared for uh, the work industry as well when they leave our school building. I love that. I, I want to go back to something that you said in the middle of that, which is, you know, the importance of kind of the well-roundedness of education, like the arts and, and other things. Talk to me a little bit about your perspective on that, because you don't hear, unfortunately, in my opinion, as many um, education leaders talking about the importance of that well-roundedness and what that brings to, to an education experience. Yeah, so I just know that, well, like you said, the importance of that and in my district, my home district, we have gone through a little financial trouble, you know, prior to me arriving. So, you know, when you get in financial trouble, you, you have to strip things right <laughs> and, and cut things back and just mm -hmm. remain with the core. And then plus we have, um, we have declining enrollment in my district, like uh, so many other rural districts in the state. Um, so kids, all they were faced with was the, was, was the bare necessities. And I, and I go back to, I'm starting with high school and I'm working backwards because in high school, you know, you're supposed to have a, you know, a plethora of activities to take, you know, you have to make sure you have all your credits, um, so you can graduate on you know, the college track or career track or whatever you, whatever you're going through. But, you know, it's still supposed to be an experience that can kind of expose you to things that you might be interested, um, when you get out of high school, everybody's not going to be a math major and everybody's not going to be a scientist, you know, um, those kind of things or statisticians, you know, that's just not going to happen. But I mean, I know we have some talented athletes, right? 
and we have some kids with beautiful voices. Um, I go to church here and I, and I attend other kids' churches and I hear them singing in the choir. They have beautiful voices, but you know, sometimes those voices just need to be trained and worked with. I, I hear the kids playing keyboards and their drums in church. So, and, and we have band, don't get me wrong, but that was the only thing that we had was band, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I'm like, well, these kids need some other experiences too, you know, they, and we had art, you know, but I just want to make sure that they just exposed to what other kids have. I mean, so we brought choral music back. You know, when I was in high school, we had choral music and show choir. It had been stripped away. So, you know, we, we got that back. Um, uh, we added, you know, foreign language back to the program. You know, we, we were even teaching Spanish and Latin. Um, you know, we, we hired the, the choral teacher, so he's teaching the piano as well, you know? You know, kids on the keyboard, but. I need them to learn how to play by notes if they can, you know? Right. So we teach in piano, we teach in choral music, we plan on adding show choir. And so then in my district, we have a brand new, high, it's only six years old, big, beautiful high school, and it was built with an auditorium to it, right? So with an auditorium, you would naturally think we should have theater arts, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, but we did not. <laughs> I think we did at one point, but you know how that goes, so. Mm-hmm. So I've just been on a mission, like, we got to offer theater arts. We got this big, beautiful theater auditorium. And um, our, our kids, they need an outlet anyway to release some of this energy because they, they can be dramatic at times, right? You know, they do. The teenagers, they are dramatic. They're full of the flair for drama. So they need to have an avenue to, to, to showcase that talent as well. So, you know, so going into 21, 22, you know, we, we got theater arts. Uh, and we're trying to build that that arts piece back in the high school. And then even down to the elementary, we have four elementary schools and one middle school. Um, then we, because it was just kind of, it wasn't equitable. You know, we had art in one school and music in another one. You know, it's like, mm, we need to balance this thing out. Everybody needs to have access to these courses. So you know, we have music everywhere now. Uh, we have foreign like Spanish in every elementary school. Um, we have art in every elementary school. Um, we even have STEM and some of those things in some of the schools because they have a STEM thing, STEM theme, getting tongue tied. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just want to make sure it's a balance to expose kids to um, uh, give them a taste of what's out there um, so they can just be ready to, to pick and choose some of the things that they want to do once they leave. Like I say, must they leave the district? Right. I love that so much because, you know, I grew up very much a, a an artsy kid. I was in theater and dance and singing and I sang at the church and, and all of these things. And I really believe that it was as looking back that I learned just as much from those experiences as I did in the classroom. Not that I didn't get my core education and it was great, but um, there's this, there's something intangible about how that translates into the way that you have a passion for kind of learning in general, right? And you don't realize necessarily as a kid when you are, you know, doing a drama production or, you know, singing with a chorus or a choir that you're learning, but you are, you're learning, you know, there's math in that, there's, you know, discipline in that, there is self-confidence in that, all of those things. So I just, I find that to be just a great perspective to keep in mind with, you know, I see a lot of legislators, legislators across the country who are just 
so very STEM focused and so very career, you know, trajectory focused that they started to discount, I think, the intangibles. Right. And I look at the arts too, because to me, to me, the arts is much more blended to, to me. So so sometimes kids' social experiences are just as important or more than the academic experiences, right? So when you're in an arts class, it's, it's more different types of people who has the same interests as you. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so of course you learn how to sing and, and you learn how to um, you know, pitch and play whatever you're doing in, in those classes with the curriculum. But then you're creating social experiences as well that allow kids to communicate more. Um, and sometimes in the arts class, you can more authentically communicate than you can in the academic core classes. And even though kids should have authentic communications in, in math class and science class, but sometimes our math and scientists are not there yet. You know, they're very, um, they're very fact driven. You know, it's it's very much you know, formula, uh, traditional, do it this way, you know, example driven. It's not a lot of um, ways to explore, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Um, so I don't know, I just, you know, kids need to have some different social experiences other than what they've just been used to in their communities. So sometimes when you get into arts, I mean, you're around different kinds of kids, different kinds of people, and you learn from each other's experiences because you can talk and communicate uh, free, more freely in those classrooms sometimes. Yeah, and I think it, it gets, there's a level of vulnerability in the creative I like that pieces, word. right? And that's, I think that's a really important life skill is to be able to, and it, you know, you see it, especially in uh, kids who are coming from, from, you know, a little bit more challenging backgrounds or have come out of trauma, you know, their ability to be vulnerable can be a little bit walled off um, as a coping mechanism. And if there's an outlet for them to have safe vulnerability, there's a healing in that, even if they don't realize it, even if it's not formalized, you know, to the specific, you know, incident or challenge that they're having, there's just a sense of like adding vulnerability to their life skill sets. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So, Talk to us, I'm switching gears to the question I ask every guest, which is um, tell us about an early education or just an education memory that really stuck with you over time, something that inspired you. Well, I have, I have a good and bad. Which one, which one would you rather? <laughs> uh, tell us both and tell us what you learned from, from each of them. I'll tell you about the bad experience. And, and it wasn't like awful bad, but I, I was in high school I was a junior or senior, senior math class. And, and by the time that I became, became a senior in high school, I kind of narrowed down that I wanted to be a teacher. Um, I had a high school teacher that told me I looked like a professor, right? <laughs> so <laughs> professorship stuck in my head. But then back then when I found out you had to be a professor, you had to have a PhD and all that stuff. Like then I just like, nah, I don't want to be a professor. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> But I had a high school math teacher who told me she she got mad with some of the with the jocks in class because they were goofing off. And when I when I went to ask a question about uh, this problem, this formula on the on the board, something about trig identities, 
she said, if you don't understand the content, you shouldn't have signed up for the course, right? And so that threw me into rage. Right. Um, and then it was a class. So it was early on in the year. So, you know, in high school, sometimes, you know, you got drop ad periods. So the classes will thin out. But it was some people in the class that should not have been in there. <laughs> you know, they were goofing off and they just cutting up. But, you know, so here I am asking a legitimate question. So she was frustrated, I'm sure. But that kind of sent me into rage. So I, I, I almost told that teacher something and I probably would. Um, and took me out of class. But then that incident inspired me to go on. That really like um, solidified my decision to be an educator, right? Because my goal at that point was to never treat another child like I was just treated. Like I did not ever want to be that teacher to do that. I wanted to make sure that I was there for my kids. I wanted to listen to my kids. Um, I wanted to help people do better. Um, so that I went on to school and got my degree and came back to work in, in my district. Um, that was really an inspiration for me to like, this is what I need to do. I just need to make sure that I do right by kids. When I come back, I need to show them positive examples. And then just the ironic part about that though, but when I, when I returned back to the school to, to teach, I ended up teaching this, this teacher's daughter. <laughs> ah. Oh, wow. It turned out the daughter, the daughter, said I was her best math teacher ever. Like her mother's a math teacher. She's telling me I'm the best math teacher ever. Oh, <laughs> that's gotta sting a little. So, so me and her mother, my former teacher, we had a laugh about it. I mean, and we got over that, right? And she she may, I never brought it up and she may or may not even remember she said that, right? But I'm not a type of person to hold girls anyway. But that that experience really forced me or to, um, really stayed in my mind about what I don't want to do to kids when I become a teacher. And, and just early on in a positive, I just had a lot of really good role models in my life early on, even in my early grades that I looked up to and admired at the school. And, um, and of course, even my family, my family has been an inspiration to me to, to want to do well. Um, we lost our dad early on. I was only seven when we lost our dad. And all of my siblings were young. I'm the youngest one. But my mama worked with us and steeled us as a single mom that you need to work hard and do well in school so you can make something out of your life, um, you know, contribute to be a positive contribution to society. So that was in all of our minds as well. That, along with some very good inspirational teachers that I had in my early grades who still call me now and check on me or stop by to see me um, just to make sure I'm doing okay. Those were the good. And then that one experience in high school that wasn't good, but it turned out for good at the end. Yeah, I think it's it's really powerful to, you know, a lot of times we when we go through something that's more challenging, it might stick with us, but we don't always... Uh, look at the lining of uh, the silver lining of kind of what came out of that. And it's really, I think it's really powerful sometimes to think about, you know, those negative experiences and how they inspired or just taught you what you don't want, what you don't want to do or what you don't want to, um, 
you know, how you may not want to behave or act or, you know, whatever the lesson is. Um, and it's, that's a really interesting, you're right about, I wonder if she even remembers because, you know, if, if it was just you, there's always this um, perspective, right. Of uh, someone you're, you could be talking to someone who's having the worst day of their life, right? And I'm not saying that that was particularly her worst day of life, but you just never know where people are in their heads and in their experience. We only know what, you know, we only know our side of the coin. Right. And so to think about that, but it is sometimes a powerful reminder to say like, hey, I want to make sure that I don't give that same experience ever to someone else. So what are your favorite um, or kind of what are the things you're looking forward to? What are the things that get you most excited about education and kind of the future and where we're moving as we come out of the pandemic? We, we know all the challenges, but what are some things that are that are kind of bright spots on the horizon that you're looking forward to watch come to fruition? Well, um, like I said, I, I think that this this pandemic has, has has taught us to be creative in a sense so as i talk to kids as i connect with them in their communities or i go by the jobs and see them or sometimes if if i am friends i try not to be friends with my students on social media but you know and i always start with high school i guess because i'm a former high school teacher right so i, I look at the willingness and excitement from kids to come back to finish out strong, right? They 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 want to finish out strong. Um, they um, some of them have a, a sense of renewal. Um, they just want to do some some something different than than what they've been experiencing here. And when I have conversation with kids, sometimes a lot of our kids have kind of have kind of accepted their surroundings as their end all be all. Uh, and I'm hoping I'm answering your question right because I'm talking about the, the what I see in my area. Yeah, absolutely. This big picture. Uh, some of the kids uh, I get to know, um, you know, their experiences just have been limited. You know, a lot of them think they were college material or what they see in the communities, all that they'll be able to do. You know, um, so I like having conversations with kids to encourage them that, that college is a possibility, right? Um, you know, so it's, it's so many of our kids that, you know, college seems so far off and they haven't even, you know, we talked to them about going to, going to college, but they haven't even been on a college campus. So just when we get to take kids on a, on a field trip to a college campus, and this was pre-pandemic, of course, just hearing the conversations when they come back about, <laughs> them being on a college campus. I, I see three young men in my head right now who who were, who were in my office a couple of weeks ago, happy and excited about going to college. Um, they all going to college in North Carolina, but when I got there, these were probably three young men who, I mean, they, they of course they're college material, but they probably had kind of thought they wouldn't ever go, but they've all been accepted into some, some universities here in North Carolina that in North Carolina that they're gonna do well in. Um, I'm just excited about trying to give the kids what they need to be successful. And I keep going back to that because, um, you know, just my district was not the same district was when I, when I left it when I was a student. And 
I just see the talents that's in these kids that's kind of have been suppressed over time. And I just look forward to the opportunities that they that they're going to have uh, when they come back to school and of course when they get prepared to go out um, going down to that middle elementary schools you know having conversation with those kids too about what do they want to see in school and you know and those things range you know from a to z in elementary you know they'll say some anything sometimes <laughs> true story yeah you know they they're funny right <laughs> they just tell you some of everything about what they want to see in their schools so uh, I know in one of the schools I went in, one little girl said that they used to have plays um, and they wanted to have some kind of plays back. They have a, a stage in the cafeteria and she wanted to do a play. So we're working now with the lady with the dance school in the region. She doesn't live in our community, but she has a dance theater, dance school. So we're looking at trying to partner with her to come in and teach dance to our kids for the elementary and middle schools are kind of work in conjunction with our theater arts teacher for the high school next year. So um, just, you know, just looking for the exposure of kids to um, another partnership we're trying to work on. I don't mean to be skipping around like this, but my alma mater, Elizabeth City State University, they're about an hour away from us, but they have this state of the art drone technology and aviation science program um, that's pretty new. <clears throat> And uh, kids go there and get the pilot pilot license and things like that, flying drones. So we're trying to look at creating a partnership to integrate that program into our middle high school curriculum working department university to be able to offer that and even tie in the community college to get that program prayerfully, uh, so we can take advantage of. We have something called career and college placement in North Carolina where our kids can take college courses free. Um, but they have to take them through the community college. Um, so we're trying to partner with the local community college uh, so they can be a partner with the university so we can offer that drone technology, aviation science free to our high school kids. So um, it's those things that we're trying to put in place um, to make sure our kids have every opportunity to be successful, to align them if they wanna to go to college to make sure they have a career credential if they want to leave school and be credentialed so they can go right to work. Of course, if they want to go to the military, you know, we have a top-notch on JROTC program as well. So to prepare them for the armed forces if they choose to do that um, when they leave us. So those are the kind of the things I'm excited for. Um, here in our district, I'm excited that the gov that our state is talking about broadband challenges and want to fund trying to expand broadband in our community you know since the pandemic has come and of course that has been on the table for years but you know it gets no traction so you know they have been serious conversations now about you know expanding broadband so our communities can have affordable internet access and of course if we get some strong broadband in our area you know that can also attract businesses to the area for economic development as well so Absolutely. You know, I think that the the idea of these partnerships is such a powerful addition. You know, it, so much of what happens, I think, in education is for a long time, and maybe that's changing now and you can weigh in on, on where we are in that, in that trajectory. But I think there's so much that education was done in, in a lot of different vacuums. And we weren't always, you know, we weren't always 
connecting the great innovations that were happening in, in different parts of the country, great partnerships that were, or great innovations that were happening in, you know, kind of in businesses or in, you know, for your example, colleges or community colleges, not connecting with the K-12 system. And, and I still think there's a long way to go there, but it's uh, kind of inspirational to me to see that, that people like you and other leaders are getting out and forming those partnerships and saying like, we don't have to be in a solo and try to figure out all the resources for everything all by ourselves. If people are doing great things, how can we get those great things in front of our students? Right, exactly. Do you think it is, do you see that as something that is growing, this idea of partnerships? Do you see it as kind of a norm or a challenge still? Or is it still new or is it becoming kind of what everyone does? What it, what like you and your colleagues do, you, you know, how are partnerships talked about or viewed in the superintendent world? I think it's becoming the norm um, in my superintendent world. You know, every, we all talk about that expanding partnerships with, you know, first of all, with whatever we have at our disposal locally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, trying to make sure we just capitalize on every single partnership that we can, because we know that the school system is the kind of the cornerstones of our community, right? So. Um, so well, if, if the school system does well, so does the community in most instances. So I think most superintendents are always looking at avenues to try to strengthen existing partnerships or, or create new ones. And sometimes that even means going across district lines you know, with your neighboring communities. Um, just like my, my county, Bertie, you know, we don't have a community college in Bertie, but our, so our local community college is Martin County, which is the neighboring county. So they have a they have a continuing ed center in, in my district, but of course our kids are not in continuing ed in the, in the main um, in, the, in the main curriculum. But you know those partnerships across county lines too that are so important that's going to benefit um, benefit our um, stakeholders and, and our children. So yeah, I think that is becoming more commonplace. Of course, some people have it down packed better than others, and I'm. I'm still learning, growing as a you know, second year superintendent um, about creating positive relationships and partnerships and then restoring some as well. And like I said, just take advantage of every every resource that we have in our communities to make a, um, to make a difference for our kids. Just like with our local hospital, which is a, it's a hospital out of the, it's called Vidant. Mm-hmm. In Greenville, you know, that's the main Biden hospital. And then of course they have hospitals in, you know, different communities. So um, so we have one called Biden Bertie. It's a small, small bed hospital. And and so we do have a partnership, but the partnership at this point is, has been basically they pay for our athletic trainer for sports, right? They pay for half of it, you know, the district pays for the other half. And we and we need an athletic trainer, and she's wonderful. And of course, they do some of the physicals um, for our athletes when they get started. But I was looking for a way to strengthen the partnership because we know we have, you know, uh, critical care issue access issues in our in our district. You know, uh, lack of access to medical care. So, how can we start a pipeline to making sure we prepare kids, hopefully, to go into the medical field? that can come back and service our community or, or service the greater community at all because you know, there's a lot of places that need nurses um, and of course doctors. So what we're trying to do now 
um, we're looking at our health science classes at the high school to 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 which we in talks about coming up with a like a health science academy or health science club where we can get kids in the health science class not just to be CNAs but kids who have an interest in going into pre med right so right. that the hospital can can we have a club of health science students at the high school our big hospital partner and our local health department can all collaborate to provide experiences and internships and for those kids to of course take the classes be able to participate in internships and be exposed in the healthcare field um, hopefully it would generate an interest um, have some saturday academies some after school academies they can do some work at the health department at the hospital at a couple of the local doctor's offices to see what these people do for a living. And of course, look at their salaries too, because that's gonna be an ignite, I hope. Um, and you know, it takes hard work, but this is this is doable work. You can do it. So when they leave Bertie, you know, um, Vident is a part of East Carolina University's medical school. I mean, they right there on the same campus. So I mean, they can be trained locally. I mean, we have a medical school right in our region. And they provide a lot of the doctors and, and medical staff in our region anyway. You can go to East Carolina, you go, you know, get your medical doc, your doctorate degree or your MD in eight years, and you can be practicing right in your community. You can come back to Bertie or at least stay in the region um, to practice medicine. So just looking at every avenue where we have a partnership, how can we take it to the next level? Like what's one more thing we can do to strengthen it? to take it to the next level to get all that we can. And what I just described doesn't really cost any money, right? Right. Just, just everybody coming together, yeah, having conversations um, to try to do what's best for the kids today and looking at the long-term effect and the impact we're having in our community. <clears throat> That's such yeah. a great model too for building partnerships. I think some people don't know where to start, but I think having those organic relationships and then continuing to build them the way you are, that's amazing. Thank you. So as we finish up here, we're rounding out to the, the end of the hour. This has been wonderful. Uh, I'm curious about, as you mentioned at the beginning, you are coming up on your 30th year in education and um, not to say you are ready to, to leave your current seat by any means, but what do you hope that you, when you do step out of the seat you have, um, what do you hope that you've left behind as your legacy? Well, my mom used to say, she says now, like, you need to always leave something better than you found it, right? <laughs> when, you, when you leave something, it should be better than when you, when you got it. And, and I do believe that. But at, at, the, at the end of the day, I want people to be able to remember Dr. Smallwood as somebody who believed, like, if the kids have to describe me, or, or the, the staff, like, he believed in us, he believed in our ability. He, he worked with us, gave us um, the tools that we needed to do our jobs. Um, he formed relationship with constituents and stakeholders in the community to provide opportunity and access for our babies. The, the, in a nutshell, that's what I want to happen. I mean, I want our kids to soar. Uh, I want our children to, to overcome their adverse childhood experiences. I want them to get beyond their trauma. Um, I want them to believe in something bigger than what they always see. 
Um, I don't, I don't brag. I, I'm not one for being really in the spotlight, but I just look at me coming from humble beginnings in this same community, raised by a single mom with five kids. And, you know, of course, you know, we were poor, but not in the sense that we knew it at the time, but, you know, we just very humble beginnings. And my situation though, is, is not any differently than any of these kids sometimes. Like when I look at some of these kids, I'm looking at me, like, you know, cause I'm a black male. I look at these boys. I like, yeah, that was me growing up, you know? Right, right. And uh, I, I, again, not trying to, you know, ego trip or anything like that, but I, you can work through your, your, your circumstances and still have positive experiences. Um, I chose to go in education. I made a career out of it. And, and now I'm at the top of my K-12 career, so to speak, you know? Um, and people helped me, people provided for me, they gave me chances and opportunities. And I just wanna make sure that my babies here, I have provided them the opportunity if they wanted to take advantage of it so that they can excel to the next level. I just want to be able to look back and you know see our kids excelling, you know, see our staff continue to excel and flourish. And that's I think that's what I want my legacy to be that I was just able to ensure that I was gave folk the tools and experiences and opportunities they need to be successful. I love that so much. Well, you are a very special and inspirational leader. And we are so blessed that you joined us today um, on Dissecting Education. And uh, all of these topics um, are just so relevant to the education world and, and seeing it through your eyes and, and what you're experiencing. Uh, we just really, really appreciate it. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, Melanie. It's been fun. I'm always a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfectly okay. You know, and then speaking and not seeing you like, you know, behind this computer sometimes it's, it's, a little, it's more intimidating than speaking in front of people sometimes. Um, I know the, the Zoom world we live in is a blessing and a curse for sure. That's right. <laughs> I just want to keep things simple. My people tell me all the time, you know, Dr. Smallwood, less is more. You know, I, you know, talking high tech to people that sometimes that don't mean anything to, you know, I just like to keep things real, practical, and, um, Absolutely. Well, your district is very, very lucky to have you. I think all of your babies, as you call them, um, are better off for having you as their leader. So uh, thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Thank you so much. This has been Dissecting Education with your host, Dr. Melanie Hicks, a production of In Pursuit Research, outcomes-driven, impact-focused. Thanks, and we'll see you on another episode soon.